0: Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro
1: Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates.
0: Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and...
1: It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas.
0: Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in JIRA. But wait, it's done. Is it Miro?
1: Easy with its two-way JIRA sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it.
0: Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.
1: Now with your host Adam Thorn. This might either be the
0: worst podcast Eight, or the best one two, of all time. One, go one. enjoy the show. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Joe Rogan Experience review listeners get ten percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/review. In 2021, mental health is finally a thing. So many people are struggling right now and aren't feeling like their normal selves. Therapy helps. And it doesn't have to be sitting around just talking about your feelings. So what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can privately talk to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with your stress or you're having relationship issues. Whatever you need, don't be ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better. Because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. Better Help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You can keep it private that way. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is all about. See if it's for you because you are your greatest asset. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash review. Hey guys, and welcome to a slightly unusual, but also special edition of um, the Joe Rogan Experience Review. Uh, I had a feeling that at least one week this month, Joe was going to be off hunting. I did not expect him to get COVID, so there were no shows last week, as I'm sure we've all We all know. He got sick, got over it uh, real fast. But um, because of that, what I wanted to do is something a little different. And um, part of the reason why I started this podcast was to kind of talk to other fans and other people that I've met that are fans of Rogan. And how could I put this? like... See where he's inspired them, you know, to see. Because the show that he has is not just entertainment. There's a reason so many, it resonates with so many people. And it's one of the most listened to things on the planet. And I think what stands out to a lot of people is the good habits and the motivational messages that come from it. And, And people act on it. And today I have a conversation with uh, a really good friend of mine, Aaron Blaine, who uh, is former special forces and, um, and uh, now works with helping people with post-traumatic stress and uh, has kind of made it his life to do that. And since getting out of the military, he um, has been inspired by Rogan in very specific ways that actually during the podcast i found out there, there was some things some of the same things aligned um and you know it's kind of like following a message i don't want to get too woo-woo with it but it's like you see something that sounds good and you go for it and then it has a really positive impact on your life so i hope you enjoy it and um yeah here we go Hey guys, and welcome to this special episode of the This Goes Podcast. Um, not joined today by Sean as per usual, but uh, we have a guest in, a good friend of mine and Sean's, Aaron Blaine. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hey, uh, my name is Aaron Blaine, and uh, yeah, I'm Adam's friend.
0: And we've known each other how long now? Like yeah. two
1: two two and a half years oh i think it's been longer a bit longer than that i think it's been three or four years right yeah maybe because listen like when we were doing retreats in joshua tree we did one or two a year so i actually don't dude that was probably 2017 they all blend together so it's been like three or four years it's been a while yeah love that and like now that you're in bozeman i just assumed that i met you in bozeman but i actually met you in Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. that was the first time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So We've been friends a while. And uh, give us a bit of your
0: background, and then uh, we will jump into the to the topic of today.
1: Awesome. So um, I'm a, a veteran of the United States Army Special Forces, uh, integrated back into being a civilian around 2017. Um, I have a family. I'm a father, a husband. And I now work for a non-profit organization called the Station Foundation, and it's an organization that holds retreats and supports special operations veterans and service members and their families. Um, yeah, and there's a lot more to say, but I think that kind of sums it up.
0: Yeah, so so like an interesting transition through like full-on warrior and then supporting yeah, in that sense, absolutely, and and through the kind of avenue of men's work, it yeah. led you. It's almost like full circle, like you know what I mean. Like you're always gonna go here.
1: Yeah, full circle in many ways. Like there's so many layers to this onion. Uh, you know, I heard a podcast on Joe Rogan about Dan Doty, who led me to Dan, got me in a men's group, that then got me a job with them. And that's how I met you in the desert, and now we're sitting here doing a podcast. No, oh, and so it was him being on the. You didn't know him before the podcast? No, not at all. So oh, that's
0: fascinating.
1: So a lot of my, a lot of my transition, I'd have to give credit to Joe Rogan specifically. Um, most of where I was getting my news and awareness of wellness, and I think just the open dialogue and. Conversations that he was having with people felt authentic. It felt like a, a trustable news source. And so I got most of what I learned through transition through like the Rogan podcast. That's why. Like, yeah, because I first started listening, started getting into hunting a lot more, started listening to like Remy Warren, Steve Rinella, got real big into the meat eater stuff, which gave me a mission, gave me a purpose. Um, I was already in Montana. Um, hunting helped a lot then moving on to like sleep episodes and like wellness for uh, gut health. I heard Dan on the podcast talking about his men's group, had no idea what a men's group was, but there was something in that podcast, um, that intrigued me enough to reach out to him actually on Facebook messenger of all things. No way. Yeah. So I reached out to him, said what's up. And then like three days later I was having coffee with him. Um, Right up here in Bozeman.
0: Yeah, now maybe we should say... I mean, obviously, <clears throat> a lot of you guys are going to uh, remember the podcast that Dan was on. But Dan Doty was the first guy to take Joe Rogan hunting. I guess somehow Joe
1: reached out to him or to well, the meat-eater guys. Yeah, so Dan, I think they had, he had reached out to the meat-eater guys. Dan was like executive producer um, at ZPZ. And I think they were out in like utah or nevada and they went on a mule deer hunt and i guess joe got kind of coupled up with dan and they were out hunting mule deer together and so the podcast i heard was them driving back from that hunt and it was like in a truck it was like one of the only ones rogan did like in a truck in a truck out of his studio and so the second that dan said yeah i live in bozeman montana i was like okay I'm reaching out to this guy. There's there's too many synchronicities here. Like meat eater, men's group. Like this guy sounds like a solid dude. I think the thing that attracted me the most was that he uh, he talked a lot about wilderness therapy, mm. and I was looking definitely a seeker. I was looking for for help um, in the transition from a, like you said, a warrior to a, a regular human. Uh, is not always the easiest and so i was looking for something it's got to be weird to get back to like normal life yeah you come off the off ramp of a you know c-130 and there you are back all of a sudden you got to stand
0: in in line jeans and and t-shirt yeah stop
1: at red lights and yeah 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 there are no red lights (laughs) and there's there's no traffic lights out there no so yeah it was uh a difficult but really amazing journey from from full-time soldier to like dad and husband and friend and just like regular guy. Dude, that is fascinating because that is exactly
0: the same type uh I mean, I heard Dan on Rogan and uh I knew that Sean knew him. Like yeah, our yeah mutual friend Sean. I knew he knew him well and was like in a men's group with him. And I'm like, "Oh, that's your buddy?" And he was like, yeah. He goes, I'd love for you to meet him one day. And I was like, well, I'm actually going to be there next week. And he's like, what? And I go, I booked a ticket. I'm coming up. <laughs> right. Let's meet
1: Dan. That's amazing.
0: And it was always my style to do things like that. And because Sean's known me forever, yeah. like, you know, Sean's a planner, but he is always giving me that space to be like, yeah, Adam would just do this. Well,
1: it surprises me very little that you did. that. <laughs> exactly. So you know me too. Yeah.
0: And, and that was it. I came up, met Dan. Same thing went back to Santa Monica. I guess his close friend from school, Hagen, was Mm -hmm. lived there. They'd been trying to put a group together, and that's how I did my group. Same thing. So again, it's like the reach of what Rogan Show can do, and that's always what I'm looking for. Like, what is, what are the nuggets of gold? Like, what's useful in this? Like when you think it may be the most listened to piece of media on the planet you better fucking hope it's useful. Otherwise, it's the opposite, right? Just de facto. It's If it doesn't have a good message, it, what the hell is it doing for people? Right. So this is a good example of like when it does something beneficial.
1: And, and absolutely. And I think I always seeked out the podcast or the, the guests that he had that were talking about things that I was really interested in. And so it was like a menu. Like Some of the stuff I knew I didn't want to... Uh, tap into like I actually didn't have much interest in UFC at that time and so he'd be talking to UFC guys and I'm like okay cool I'm on this like somewhat of a spiritual path trying to get help trying to heal so most of what I listened to was like hey how, like I said how to sleep better how to you know uh, they had Dr. Gordon on there talked about the uh, the TBI protocol um, and then yeah even smaller world Andrew Marr that was on his podcast with with Rogan and 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 Dr. Gordon. He was in the same company in the in the special forces teams that I was on. Oh no way. Yeah, and so I knew who Andrew was. We didn't know each other well, but I was like, okay, if that guy's doing it, that gives me some permission and some modeling to like go ahead and trust this. And so I think that's what Rogan does really well is he models and has people, authentic people who are experts in their field, modeling what looks right, that have really valid information. and then it's not a newsreel. It's not an advertisement. You just get to hear straight from the source like the education that these people have, their experience and how it lines up with their career. And I think that's what really helped me to trust his podcast was that you know these are actual people doing these things on the ground. It's not just uh, an Oprah Winfrey, you know, uh,
0: interview. Yeah, it's not like, it's it's like those late night freaking infomercial bullshit. Like, that's how we would get things in the past. Like, this guy's selling this book, and he's got his I'm selling voice on. Rogan takes all that away. Even when people go on there and they have something they want to push. Like, pushing themselves, or a book they wrote, or he just... He talks. Cut, he them. cuts right he through cuts through, right through He's yeah. like, who are you? Yep. Where are we going with this? It throws them off. They get comfortable. And then we're like, oh, now I know who this person is. I, I think I am going to buy
1: that book. Yeah, and, and what I think it boils down to really is authenticity. Right. There's so much authenticity because you get to hear the story. You get to actually, and, and he'll mess with people. And so, like you said, he'll kind of get under their skin. He'll kind of like, you know, rough them up a little bit. To where they don't really have that pitch ability anymore. And it's just a guy or a girl or a guy on a podcast. It's not just an advertisement.
0: Yeah, or here it it do exactly that and like say something really silly. Like way off the cuff and slightly like taboo. And then people realize real fast, oh, this isn't a regular interview. Like of all the type, like if you're on a book tour... You're getting asked the same questions. You've got the same cookie cutter response. So you just have to. It's how it goes. They're looking for little sound bites for, yeah. their, for their channel or their news article. And Rogan's just like, What do you think about fucking monkey attacks? Right. And they're like, Wait, what? Yeah. And he's, he's always like, Let's out. watch this video of this
1: guy shitting himself. Right. And then
0: it just throws it off. And then you get to see some real reactions. Exactly.
1: Which is madness, but it's genius but that's too. what we're doing here too and that's why i i appreciate the fact that we didn't have like you know specialized you know questions or any kind of uh you know um oh an, an agenda, agenda. No, it's yeah. mostly
0: because i'm lazy and unprepared Aaron. okay well, I, I mean I, you know, I, I believe that yeah <laughs> you know that too thanks a lot i take that as a compliment and,
1: and your wit um may over override the uh planning so yeah i can compensate i I, I trust that i
0: compensate nicely right so let's talk about something that happened to you recently that is a a type of message that i think uh has not been well documented the best places i've heard it is on and through podcasts Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that i know people are fascinated about joe talks about it other people in his uh kind of um community discuss it and and there's a growth factor from it that still has a lot of taboo
1: yet uh, i don't know get into it yeah so i think what we're talking about here is psychedelics Mm-mm. and i think right now it feels to me like that closet door starting to open I'm hearing more about it in the regular news. I'm hearing stories about veterans using it for for therapy. I'm hearing about it for brain injury. I mean, there's so many different things that it can benefit. And I think people are starting to see the writing on the walls. um, And more people are trying it. And you're really in the perfect position to to understand what this
0: is, uh, you know, Almost, it's more important that you do it than a lot of people with the type of therapy that you have forward. Because the challenges you must have helping people that have gone out to war, done what they've done, come back. I mean, the therapies that they've had traditionally do not seem effective. These people are getting loaded up with drugs that make them shake, that they can't get off. It's not allowing them to get through their trauma. And this is just what I've heard. Like well, I don't no, know a like, lot about
1: it. Like but. this is what has thrown me onto a totally unconventional path. Is that I was that guy. I was the guy going to the VA, getting the benzos, getting the antidepressants, and feeling numb on an airplane, not knowing where I was, and and being like, "Hey, there's got to be a better way to do this." And so I started seeking out more unconventional therapy. Um, I think that like right off the bat, I probably wasn't ready for psychedelics. But because of the work that I've done um, in the somatic, which is the, the, the body and, and, and emotional work. Through the men's group stuff. Through the stuff. men's group okay, stuff. Yep. Through just being, you know, having more self-awareness of, like, my body, how I hold myself, how I hold my stress, how to work through things. I think knowing all that and learning all that through, you know, the everyman stuff and the men's work stuff got me to a point where psychedelics made more sense. Because personally i felt like i knew what to do once i took them it was like all this work is like drinking through a fire hose when you're dealing with all kinds of different therapies and you're trying to you're trying to figure out what makes sense and what works for you but it's hard to integrate all that into your life and i think what psychedelics did for me was validate a lot of what was working and then showed me okay yeah and you can do these other things and so it was like a teacher in a way of things I already had learned. I can't imagine coming right off the, you know, right out out of the military and just going straight into it. Right. I want to caution that. And I also want to caution. Get off the boat and use eight grams of mushrooms. Any listeners. Probably a bad idea. Yeah, it's like, you know, I wouldn't just jump right into it. It's something that you have to take seriously. You have to understand. You have to respect. uh, Build a relationship with. And then when you know, and, and they always say with psychedelics, You'll know when you're ready to do it, because <laughs> yeah, go, you go do it, right? Right? You're there. You're there.
0: Now, this most recent adventure that you had with that—is that the most um, kind of like therapeutically guided that you've had, or have you done a lot
1: of the guided styles? Yes. Like how do
0: you? How have you really explored um, psychedelics generally? So I was this?
1: actually leading a retreat in California, and uh, I had a participant come up to me and say hey man I've done a lot of work with veterans and I would love to take you into the desert into Joshua Tree and and take mushrooms with you and I I like just became really good friends with this guy and um so I agreed to it I was like sure I'm like I trust him for some reason he had been to a couple other retreats had you ever done them before never done it before oh
0: shoot I mean I, I had
1: like smoked pot in high school and that was the extent of it right and so um that intrigued me and I think like Listening to Rogan and hearing just to your point about the community members and people that had brought up psychedelics in his podcast gave me permission to go, Okay, there's actually like normal people out there that are not woo woo hippie spiritual types that are doing these, you know, that that are experiencing these plants um, and that they're getting benefit from it. And so I went into the into the uh, desert with this guy. Um, I think this is twenty eighteen and I didn't know what to expect. I just trusted him. And I did a five gram dose in the desert, which was like a full spectrum experience for me. That's it, deep. It was it was I, I didn't know what five grams was. I just said, okay. <laughs> and so next <laughs> You're thing about you know to find out. I was eating a peanut butter sandwich with a bunch of mushrooms on it. Um oh. and then from there it was all the way from complete terror to like bliss on a spectrum of about six hours. Wow. And so when I came out of that experience, now was
0: he guiding you through it? Was there a lot or was he kind of like left you and gave you space? Kind of in and out some support. So so it was kind
1: of, it was kind of an in between. He had kind of, uh, let me know at the beginning to come up with some intentions. You know, he cautioned that it's going to be typically kind of scary at times, especially for my first experience. Um, kind of talked me through letting go and relaxing and it took me a while to get there and once I got there um you know and with mushrooms I always tell people it feels like you're getting hit with a baseball bat in the chest until you let go mm-hmm. and so it kind of doesn't give you a choice mm. it's like dude you're gonna let go it's how much you're gonna fight this how much you're gonna try to take control of it um it just doesn't work and so I learned quickly that I wasn't in control anymore, and I think that was one of the biggest learning lessons for me. I have been in control my whole life, yeah, and so I've been in control as a as a as a young boy, eleven years old, and losing my father, becoming the man of the house, having to take care of everybody, and then joining the military, becoming a leader, especially in the special forces and always having it together yeah. always having control always being you know whatever voice of reason having you know having the wherewithal to get through experiences and so constantly under pressure constantly under pressure and then to be able to let go and actually feel what that feels like it might have been the first time i had ever let go ever wow and and what was what was the feeling the feeling was like I, I, and I believe I had it a, a complete ego death. So the feeling that I had when things started to get scary was I'm not a grounded person. I don't know what ground feels like because I'm constantly looking under rocks for things. I'm constantly trying to fix things. I'm constantly trying to. And, and, and I've been in this pattern my whole life of burning myself out. Right. And then so it, what it showed me is that like I don't have to be the person in control. And there are times where I can be, but there are times to let go and times to rest. <laughs> and so the, whatever the plants communicated to me at that time was like, dude, you, gotta, you just got to slow down. And like, I had known that concept through you know, men's work and through retreats and through you know, all the work that I had done. But to really, really physically feel the, the act of letting go, um, I, that, was, that was brand new to me. That slowing down thing comes up over
0: and over again. And it seems like it should be the easiest thing to do. The idea that you basically... Like, the fundamentals of it are do nothing, think very little, and just let
1: stuff happen. Yeah, And it couldn't be fucking more difficult to do. No, it's really probably one of the hardest things to articulate. And actually perform, um, and just the words slung down. You know how to slow down a car, right? You just you, you apply the brake. Why is that so easy? But slowing down your life isn't. And I mean, there's a lot of different factors here. I think we're all trying to get to something, right? We're right. all we're all trying to we're all trying to compete. We're all trying to perform. We're all trying to achieve. And so there's always this like carrot in front of us that says you got to go, you got to do, you got to, you have to perform. And I think coming from the special forces, it's like a high peak performance lifestyle where you're working out, you're playing hard, you're partying hard and you just got to get shit done. There's no excuses. And so I actually had no idea how to slow down. I think that like through a lot of the men's work, I had kind of started to hit the brake, but I, I think what happened is I actually hit the gas on that, right? <laughs> which which made me because I felt responsible. Like, oop, I've got this skill set now. I've got to help other people, and so kind of hitting the gas on that and just taking myself back into the old pattern. Um, right? You think it's like a
0: positive momentum, yeah? And look how productive I'm being. And then all you're really doing is just burning yourself out. Yeah,
1: because I looked at it and I was like, oh wow, so. Here I am burning myself out trying to help other people, trying to guide them through being a better father or a husband or a friend, and I'm not actually doing that. (laughs) And so for me, I think the plants articulate somehow this transpersonal experience where you get to see yourself doing things. You see yourself acting, you see yourself, uh, your life as a whole. And it's like an opportunity to step back and look at it and study it and kind of just comprehend what's going on in a really slowed down setting. Now, let me
0: ask you this in going back a little bit, with all of this newfound understanding of how these plant medicines can benefit your life, try and take yourself back to when you were in the military. What? like there must have been a way different idea because I have friends in the military and they're still in it now. And sometimes through the podcast, I'll get emails from people that are in the military and and maybe they're stressed about the things that are happening to them. And they want, like one person recently, it was actually his wife reached out and was like, he won't meditate. He's really anxious. And could you send some links of Rogan podcasts where he's talked about meditation. Luckily, there's a bunch of them. Right. But he's a big Rogan fan and he might listen. And that was her way of wow. like opening it up. Now, I wasn't going to open him up with, you know, try some plant medicine or whatever. Like that, That's not my role. i got to be very careful in that department. But what are the stigmas that you have towards the idea of even doing this and exploring this, which probably I would imagine a lot of people in the military have?
1: Yeah, so I think the best thing I could equate it to is like being on a sports team and being responsible for pulling your weight, being responsible for being <clears throat> good at whatever position you're at. And so if you're on a soccer team or a football team and you're, you know, you're a wide receiver, you're expected to do that role and do it well. And you know, when you're in the military, it's the same thing except for it's also the same thing when you go out to the bars. It's also the same thing when you're, you know, hanging out, playing Xbox. It's there, There's never really an opportunity to to slow down. There's, a, there's like an expectation to be the best or to... And, and when you're not doing that, you're busting each other's balls. And there is a huge stigma about getting help. There's a stigma about being weak. There's a stigma about... I would say um, more of the therapeutic type modalities like yoga and meditation are looked at as like a woo-woo or a weak way of, I don't know, moving through life. And so it's not something you see, you don't see a lot of wellness stuff going on because you're supposed to be above that. Right. Is at least my perspective. I don't want to proselytize or like say that my experience is the same as everybody else's, but I think being on the teams is a, And I loved it. I loved being the go-to guy. I loved being the high performer. I loved being really in shape. But you take it on as an an identity. And it becomes your tribe. And so when you're on a team, especially a special forces team or a SEAL team, where there's this really extreme belonging feeling. That you, you belong to something. And they They respect you and you respect them, and there's almost not a whole lot of time to let your hair down and and like i said it's it's in work, it's in play, and it just kind of it just kind of it consumes you, and at least it consumed me to the point where I was running so fast, I didn't know what was behind me right and so a lot of people say like when you're in the army, like you know you're you're compartmentalizing a lot of stuff, you know, you, you, go through traumatic experiences, you go through training that's exhausting and you just, you pick up and you go on to the next thing. So there's not a whole lot of time for processing. And so what I think happens is, is like, there's this, you know, uh, metaphorical, you know, cheetah that's kind of chasing you and you just keep going and you just keep running and you just keep doing. And then when you slow down, you're afraid all that stuff's going to catch you. And that's what I think w- that's what happens when a lot of guys get out of the military and go to transition is they suddenly realize oh wow now that i've slowed down now that i'm out like what am i doing who am i how am i contributing like what what is happening here cuz it's it's vastly different to be on a special forces team and then just to be a regular guy in montana yeah and so there's just there's not a great bridge <laughs> that I know there's a lot of organizations and there's a lot of, you know, different modalities. There's, there's things that help guys transition and integrate, but I don't think that there's, that we have figured out a way to build that bridge and it's going to be different for everyone. And I think that's the big challenge. You know, someone might do what I did. Um, I became, you know, pretty spiritually promiscuous through wellness. Once I started realizing like, wow, taking care of myself allows me to take care of, the people that rely on me and then realizing, Oh wow, this is amazing. There's so much coming up for me in my subconscious through meditation or through yoga that I was not even aware of because I didn't slow down enough to take the time to, to process that stuff. So I think it's like, there's a, um, like there's, there's a moment where I had, where I just realized I had a deficit for processing and there was a deficit for all of the experiences that I've had that had just built up. And then it was like my body said, you're done. It's, it's, it's time to really slow down or you're going you're gonna to die. Like you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to die because you haven't dealt with any of this. Was it like all
0: eventually you're running so fast and there's this massive emotional baggage coming with you? That's almost like a wrecking
1: ball, and as soon as you slow down, it just squashes you. Great way to articulate that. And I think that's what it feels like. It literally felt like, especially after that first journey that I did in the desert with, with mushrooms, I felt as if I took off like a snowsuit filled with weights ah. of, of shit that I had just been holding on to. Like my body felt different. Like it felt there was a lightness or like a gentleness that I had for myself and my surroundings and nature, the people I was with. It's like I could actually see someone and I could see myself rather than just running through this on this hamster wheel. Right. And it's like the hamster wheel stopped and was like, no, it's time to get off and experience life as it is. Not trying to get somewhere, not to perform to a standard, not fit in and I think like f- that's the big thing is like fitting in is different than belonging I think we're all trying to get to one of those but when we fit in we're kind of I don't know I, I would say uh sacrificing some authenticity right right and so I got to see in my experience man I'm really trying to fit in or I'm really trying to be trying to belong but I'm not being myself right I
0: should act this way because that's what's expected yeah though I kind of want to tear someone's head off right now yeah
1: so it all comes down to even just like like the way that you communicate with people the way you treat people um, you know storytelling um, the way that you you know interact is it, it's it's all the same and' recognizing in that experience that I had been kind of putting on a mask or playing around for so long that it just wasn't my true nature. And I think I was getting there through the men's work and I was getting there through the therapy. I was getting there through all of the stuff that I had been practicing, but that was like, boom, there was just this mirror right in front of my face that said, dude, look at, it. look at, it. it shows you, I think we had talked about this before. It shows you who you are in that moment. And it's like, Wow. But I think it also somehow shows you compassion for why you got there. Mm. And so for me, it felt like it just opened up a space to work with that I didn't know about before. It's was like, oh, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more space here. And I think when you slow down or when someone slows down, you get to feel that space a little bit more. So with this
0: growth and the, the things you were learning in pieces – Then you take on the psychedelic approach and you start exploring that. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the leap of benefit compared to other types of therapies that you employed on yourself?
1: Is it a big jump forward? For me, it was a big jump. It was a giant leap. I don't think I could have got there any other way. Right. I mean, I can't imagine getting there any faster than what I got with psychedelics. I felt like it was like, you know, the a chemistry experience where or experiment where it was a catalyst, mm. you know, like, it felt like, you know, someone poured in this chemical that just said, okay, that's going to really boil over and, and make its way to where it needs to go. Right. And so that's what it felt like for me. It was like, oh man, like I, I'm curious about these things. I'm seeking, I'm trying, it was like really clunky and gritty, um, and slow moving, but the psychedelic experience, honestly, the one I did recently in Mexico was about like twenty-five to thirty years of therapy. Wow. In about a week.
0: So let's let's talk about that, right? So you've explored these things a little bit and you get to this point. And I remember talking to you before you went into this. Now, to break it down, there were sessions of ayahuasca, which you had not done before, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's a that's a DMT version of it with the whatever inhibitor I forget mm-hmm. so it lasts a long time but a different trip yes than shrooms very exploratory mm-hmm. the type of thing that I don't know from what i've heard that you can even do recreationally like it's taking you on a very specific journey I don't i don't know if Many people do ayahuasca raves. I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen. I
1: can't imagine being on ayahuasca in any kind of recreational situation.
0: So you go to this retreat. They have quote unquote, you know, shamans there yeah. to help you through it. It's very guided. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you started with
1: a big, heavy mushroom dose, right? Yeah. The first day. So there was a, a a Mexican woman from Oaxaca, and she was a um, she was a shaman of of mushrooms and so she came and did she you know she performed the first ceremony okay and so you know she brought me into a room and asked me kind of what my intentions were um, and I was blown away at like whatever authenticity she was showing or modeling was that she actually really cared and she really wanted to help me. I meet love people. meeting people like that. Yeah, and like she it's barely hard to even describe how they do it or no, what they are. But like you know it's true. Yeah, like when I think about this woman's face it makes me emotional because they're, they're, it's very clear that these people are devoting their lives to this work to help you even within a couple minutes of meeting them. And and that's one thing I was concerned about is trust. Am I going to trust these guides? Am I going to trust the facilitators? Is the environment going to be ideal for me to to grow in? And with like I said, within minutes I was like, "Whoa, this woman deeply deeply cares." And so she brought me into a room. We talked about my intentions. She asked me some very specific questions, and then she said, "You know, how, how much um, have you explored with psychedelics?" And I, you know, I had told her about my mushroom experience in Joshua tree, and um, and she said, well, how much did you do? Like, what was your dose? And I told her, like, around four or five grams. And she said, okay, well, tonight we're going to double that. Oh, mama. And so I looked at her, and that was, like, when the instant fear came. <laughs> poured yeah. over my body. Because I remembered what it was like my first Were trip. you holding onto the ground? And I was like, whoa. And, and for some reason, I was like, okay, roger that. Let's get moving. And so I I, I trusted her. Whatever she, you know, whatever she was going to do, I was going to, I was all in for. And so, yeah, there were, there were Mexican guides there, uh, for that ceremony. And then what they said was that the mushrooms, the, the psilocybin experience really helps to ground you before going into the ayahuasca okay. ceremonies right. which i believe i think mushrooms are a very grounding experience i mean it literally feels like you have a relationship with the ground and the earth and yourself and so it kind of almost like an added detox cuz you did a detox before you went there right yeah and and i want to i want to make sure i articulate that because it's really important is you know about a month before the ceremony before my travels down to mexico it was Just Pop-Tarts It was a diet (laughs) Yeah, Pop-Tarts No, it was vegetables and and chicken And that's pretty much it And so I cut out red meat I cut out sugar I cut out masturbation I cut out sex I cut out coffee I cut out pretty much everything All the good stuff All the good stuff And man, I think just that alone was really helpful and so by the time I got to Mexico, I felt, I felt healthy. You know, my body felt good. Um, and the other thing is the added, um, the added buy-in of, okay, I'm going to work towards this. I'm going to put in this effort to make this experience the, the best experience I can get. Right. And so I think even through that month, I was, you know, I was journaling every day. What do I want out of this? What do I need? So it helped me to identify what I really wanted out of the experience and my intentions moving forward into the ceremony. And they kind of prepped you for this so beforehand yeah. too? So I worked with an organization called Heroic Hearts, and it's a, it's a nonprofit that works with veterans and, and UFC fighters. And they have an integration coach that works with you from the day you sign up all the way through and past the experience. Oh, nice. And so... You know, right when you say yes, I'm in, they start setting up phone calls with you like weekly to talk about this is what you can expect, this is what you know you should eat. These are the things that you should do prior to coming down. And you went down with a bunch of fighters too, right? Yeah. So there was a there was a combination of uh, of uh, military veterans and, and UFC fighters. Oh, okay. Yeah, some warriors. All, all warriors, all yeah. people that were in control, right? All, all people that had a lifetime of compounded trauma from childhood all the way through their you know through their adult life. Wow, that's a powerful group right there to get to go through this. Absolutely, and and that was another concern of mine: Am I going to like these people? <laughs> you know, and be, being from the special forces, I think we're a little bit more you know hypercritical of who we hang around and who you know who we spend our time with. So I'm like, man, is there gonna be some like, you know, uh old veteran that's just like this crusty dude wearing a multicam cap that, (laughs) you know, wants to tell war stories. And dude, I could I couldn't have been more wrong. It's like stepping into the retreat center, I mean, they instantly had us do a share session where we start sharing like what we wanted out of it. And being in tears just listening to some of these people and how much pain they were going through and feeling right there with them i mean it was incredible to feel how fast we became connected through very similar experiences
0: now with all the men's group work that you've done you know often that it's the leadership and the setup of the meeting that can really pull it out of people now there are some people in there that are often good at expressing themselves though fairly rare sure was it the organization that, that you went to and the shaman and leaders and people organizing that helped inspire that?
1: Extraordinary uh, space holders. Great. So extraordinary uh, facilitators. Um, you could tell they put a lot of time and thoughtfulness into the whole process. You know, from the time we arrived at the retreat center and we were drinking like beet juice listening to these guys <laughs> talk about why it's not blood it's beet juice <laughs> yeah right i didn't know what it was but um all the way through to the end i was extremely impressed about how they sh- they showed up how they cared for us how they held the space everything was very thoughtful and so i think that had a lot to do with the success of the experience because I think you could probably go do it in your living room with your buddy and have an awful experience. Right. I think you could, you know, which often happens. It often happens. And I think we're reaching a point where we're starting to understand the severity and like the, the helpfulness, but also the severity of psychedelics. And, you know, they can be mistreated. They can be handled in a in a really inappropriate irresponsible way and that's when you hear about the bad trips that's when you hear about people having these terrible terrifying experiences is because the space isn't held
0: right locking themselves in a closet and thinking they died yeah yeah it's a mess yeah i can't imagine doing it on my own so you get through the first day, you do the shrooms. That's kind of like the grounding one. Yeah. Is it the next night you do the ayahuasca? Yeah. And how does that whole ceremony go down? Because that fascinates me. And this is the big thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Because honestly, the people talk about these experiences. Ari Shafir was recently on Rogan and talked about his experience with it. And it was powerful. But there's, there's often a lot missing from it. And I think that people want to hear the process to get i don't know just a bit of confidence in the idea of it Mm -hmm. instead of it just being this overwhelmingly intense potential that that people just they're not brave enough to take the step forward and i get it because they don't know what the hell it
1: is well listen i would say the the first step to understanding these plants is to not watch Any kind of YouTube video, not try to read up on it, not try to understand it from someone else's perspective, because I think everything that's out there in content is like ayahuasca, scary, like it's really intense. And I think maybe that's the way that it's sold or that's the way that it's um, presented. But man, I couldn't have my experience was nothing like what I heard from other people. See, that's interesting because even
0: I've never done it. And I would love to try it. Like, I think it's an important thing at some point. I'll know when. And, but it's so daunting to me.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the first things that uh, the integration coach, prior to going down to Mexico, said, all right, from this point on, do not type ayahuasca into Google. <laughs> like, like, just do what we, we ask of you. Journal, you know, eat this way, you know, uh, clean up your life. And you're gonna have whatever experience you're supposed to have, and I think that's ultimately the best advice I could give to anyone who's seeking, who's interested. Um, I still, would,
0: that still sounds scary, though.
1: Yeah, s- still terrifying. <laughs> and and like I even remember looking into the cup—a brown, you know, uh, earthy sludge. Was it
0: like a tea? How would you describe it?
1: It's like Is a it really tips-like? thick, milky substance almost like paste Ooh. that's like brown it's like you're drinking you're drinking a tree is what it tastes okay. like yeah and so um you know what terrible they, protein shake what they do is they you know they crush up the the stalks and then they put in other plants like the inhibitors that you talked about and then what that's doing is preventing your body from and your brain from like processing it And so it sticks around a bit longer. It's what it's able to give you those visuals. It's what's able to give you that experience because we're naturally producing, you know, these chemicals in our bodies and our brains anyways. Right. So this like it's like, you know, shutting it down to where it just kind of like gets barreled up in there for a while. And it it gives you a much bigger experience than what you're normally walking around getting. Right. How quickly did it? take the kick in. So you drink this sludge. So yeah, it's probably gross. Yeah. Terrified staring at it going, what did I do? How can I get out of this? And that was my first instinct. I mean, even after doing the mushrooms from the night before, I'm like, dude, this is like, from what I, my mind made up, I was like, this is going to be horrible. And so which is pretty
0: reasonable, I think, at that point to think, right? In some ways.
1: The only th- the only thing I can relate it to is like being on a CH-47 Chinook, like going after a high-value target in Afghanistan and like knowing that you're going to hit the ground and not know what's there, not know what's going to happen to you. <laughs> like you're probably going to die. You know, th- there's all these thoughts. Um, and, and, and being brave enough to say, listen, I came here for this. I can do this. Come on, let's let's do it. And so, drank the stuff, um, and then you just sit in silence in the dark for about thirty minutes. And for me, you know, I, I started to feel it move through my body. I felt it move down into my chest, into my belly. It was almost like a a hot feeling. Hmm. Um, it's very tingly. I could feel it in my fingertips and my toes and. Um, there was obviously something going on physiological with me, nothing f- visual yet, nothing in terms of a trip yet. And then the, uh, the Ayahuasca, which are the Peruvian shamans, uh, they're the, specifically the Shipibo people of Peru. You know, they've been in this lineage for maybe thousands of years, uh, where their grandfathers and their fathers and everyone has been a guide for the, these plants, They literally sit at the end of your bed and they sing for you and they sing these songs called ikaros, and they're not words. They're something, they're sounds that they're literally experiencing because they drink with you. So they're, they're on, they're in it with you. They're in it. Wow. They're in the world, in the spirit world with you and they're singing these songs for you. And there's this feeling of being taken care of, at least that I had was, wow. These people are willing to set up this experience, take this medicine with me, and help me heal. And it's beautiful. Like the songs are beautiful. And right when they started singing. What do they sound like? Could you. Maybe I know this is embarrassing, um, but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and go like for it. Like a humming, so it's like, okay. and, 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 so, yeah, yeah. and it changes. And, and every now and then, you'll hear them throw a random word, and they're like, medicine, you know, and, and you're like, you can hear it. Like, they're really um, manifesting like your experience through the tone of their song, and so sometimes they might speed it up. And it becomes more intense, and your experience intensifies. And sometimes it'll slow down and get really gentle, and then you're like, whew, and it feels like you're being held. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, that, I mean, you know, I'm saying wow a lot, but,
0: it, like, this is fascinating to me. It's like the... I mean, music plays an incredible role in our lives anyway, right? We're always, like, often listening to it in our cars or wherever, working out. Like, but sometimes I don't think that we realize its importance. And when you hear something like that and you can put your mindset, like, that's a very vulnerable state to be in,
1: I would imagine. I would say, like, like dancing is probably a vulnerable state to be in because you're moving your body in front of people sure. but I would say like people that are experienced with dancing and that have done it and have you know performed in front of people and that have been confident they're just all they're doing is allowing the music to move them and they love it right and they probably don't have a, they probably don't give a shit that people are staring it's at it's probably
0: super free
1: yeah and so for this it's very similar of letting their songs impact you And letting their songs, you know, kind of guide your experience. Because you can tend to go off into your own head and do your own thing. And that doesn't really work out too well. (laughs) I mean, sometimes you you can't help it. Um, You're doing this for like six, seven, eight hours. Um, You're in it fully. Right. But I think just knowing that like these people are here to guide and support and love you. And they've done it a million times. Um, and you can just see it in their faces they're they're extremely authentic, and I don't think they would be doing it. I can't imagine singing for six or seven hours and there's this guy playing this harp and there's this woman dancing in the center of the circle and it's like you're being impacted by the thoughtfulness and the the sincerity of the ceremony, which really helps contain your experience if that makes sense. yeah
0: now what kind of um visions and feelings like you hear a lot about these visions Mm -hmm. and and like what you're seeing and what it means to you and and how does that kind of come on and how does it take you on these narrative stories that people report
1: okay good question so for me um the very first thing that i noticed was when i closed my eyes there were like geometric patterns there were shapes forming in it was moving fairly quickly and so the visuals seemingly changed so drastically within seconds that you can never really pinpoint or identify or re you know reproduce on paper like what they were but for me it felt like being in an entirely different dimension it felt like being in a giant kaleidoscope of colors and shapes Um, I saw mandalas of like bugs and birds and nature, like moving about in a landscape. Um, I saw like these, it felt like statues forming these beautiful bronze, like almost like Egyptian looking statues and, and architecture. Um, but it, it constantly changed through the entire experience and I could open my eyes and I could, I could bring myself out of it. Or I could close my eyes and the more that I relax and let go, I would go deeper into these visuals. Was it like watching kind of like a movie? Like it's, you're not really
0: conscious of thinking this, it's just playing out.
1: Yeah, I mean you're, but what I would say is you would have to remove yourself from your human experience of, of watching a movie. You're more in a movie. Like you, and you aren't even, but for me I wasn't even a human. I was something else for that time. And for time, it felt like time was being stretched out almost to like hundreds of years. It wasn't just like, I, all right, I know I'm in this moment and I'm here in the ceremony. It's slow. Time didn't exist. And so I was able to think clearly, like as clearly as I can think right now. And I could play around. I could try things on. I could go, oh, man what if I did this in my life? And it's seemingly like I could see the second and third order effects of what it would be like if I applied this to my life. Huh. So it would be like a thought, like, man, what if I just like, what if I just kissed my wife every morning when I woke up? And, and then just that ripple effect of, if I did that, it's going to transform into this deep relationship with her. And then I could see myself as an old man, like holding her hand. But it But it seemingly showed me the whole like timeline, and then that would maybe be one second, and then I'd be on to the next curiosity and I think I can't remember the guy that was on Rogan, but I would say he articulated it probably the best was as if there was a giant screen in front of me that I could like type into Google, which would be my life or my psyche or my brain. And I could just explore whatever I wanted to. Wow. So it was like a playground of opportunity. Of like running scenarios. Scenarios. Of effective behavior.
0: Yeah. Were you inclined to mostly run
1: positive ones? Or could you play with anything? It felt, I think, almost entirely positive. Okay. And I mean, there were times where I would have negative thoughts of like, oh man, this is this is what i've been doing or this is the the behavior that i've been exhibiting for you know x amount of years but then there was like this extreme gentle compassion that like completely washed over my body that was like it's okay that you that that happened and you don't have to do it anymore and and i think that was probably the biggest takeaway was there was this voice and i don't know they say that it's mother ayahuasca you know i never saw a physical female you know figure but what i did feel or comprehend was a a voice that felt very feminine and that felt very compassionate that led me through this experience and helped me to understand you know your trauma isn't you your shame isn't you it's all temporary and it's and it's an illusion and it's holding you back from all these extraordinary things and all you have to do is let go of it because the more you think about it and the more you, you, you know, perform like that in your life you're just perpetuating it but you can leave it all right here you can just leave it right here and it was so simple And there was even sarcasm. Like, I remember there was like a voice that was like, hey, man, your story is really cute, Aaron. Like, (laughs) yeah, you're this like special forces guy, Green Beret with this great story. Real cute. And it was like, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. And the one visual that I had, I think, on my first journey was it felt like a big, like, blanket like I could see a blanket and I could see a a needle and a thread weaving the blanket. And that needle and thread was just my life. And it showed me how tiny I was in the grand scheme of things. I was able to zoom out and see this giant blanket that was maybe the universe. I don't know. I didn't pretend to try to figure out what these things were, but the feeling and the Whatever you're downloading is telling you you don't really matter that much, but you do. Um, and all the things that you that you get yourself stopped up on and tripped up on life, it's all a bunch of bullshit, and it's just the natural order of things that, that you can just, if you let the natural order of things just play out, like you'll be fine. <laughs> and it's so hard to it's so hard to describe because maybe you would have an experience that's so much different right and and what i think it was if i had to guess is that i went into uh, a world that i had created on my own and i had you know prepared for through all of these you know you know the diet and the journaling that gave me the space and opportunity to explore that so I think it's going to be whatever you do, or whatever one of your listeners does. But I would say that if anybody is um, is curious, I would just to say, ask yourself: Are you ready? Are you ready to make a change? Are you ready to 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 experience something that is very authentic and real? And like, what do you like? What do you want to do with it? Because I would say, for me, what I experienced was understanding that we all as humans are just manifestations of what we want but some of us are more courageous about manifesting those great extraordinary things right and so i think it gave me the courage to step further in to those things and to take it more seriously to have a lot of a lot more self love and compassion which i think well i know boosted my confidence I mean, I walked out of the first ceremony with my chest out and they talk about that a lot of like your posture, how you're bringing yourself into the experience. And so you sit cross legged with your back straight and you breathe and you, you bring yourself in a, in a dignified manner that's respecting yourself, respecting the plants, respecting the ceremony. And I felt like I walked out of there with that same stature, that same posture. It was like, wow, man, I... I know what to do now. I know how and it 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 shows you how to do it and what to do, but it's not gonna do the work for you. And I think that might be what a lot of people want. And it's it no, it becomes harder. Like life becomes more difficult because you get to see Now you gotta clean it up. You gotta clean it up. You've seen how dirty your closet is. And you gotta maintain like the journaling. You gotta maintain the healthy relationships. You gotta maintain everything that you learn in order to get benefit from it. It's not like you take them and you're just good. Um, I would say quite the opposite.
0: Do you think that's where the metaphors come in? Because that's one thing for sure. Like you say, everyone obviously is going to have different experiences. Mm -hmm. But anyone I've talked to, and a lot of times when I've heard people talk about this, which to me, it's fascinating. So I always pay as much attention as I can. I like want to get these nuggets out of it, right? Yeah. And these metaphors these visual metaphors come up that are extraordinary it's almost like if I knew these people and they didn't tell me that they did ayahuasca Mm -hmm. but then they're just explaining life in this term of metaphors I'd be like that motherfucker is really good at coming up with metaphors it's almost like it gives you these freebies and then do you find yourself now that you're out of it and you're saying this is where the work is right Mm -hmm. which is You either don't apply any of this stuff, go back to how it was, knowing more of the truth, which is probably a shame, Mm -hmm. or you start doing that work. Exactly. You're like, I've seen the answer. Now I have to put the effort in. Do you use the metaphors? Like, are they a good guide to kind of remind you? You're like, ah, I am small because of the thread or the next one that you saw.
1: It's like this. That's helpful. These are like tools given to you. Exactly. I think it's like what you said about language. I think it gives you a language that allows you to articulate it. And the only thing that you the only choice that you have in that language is to use metaphors because it's so indescribable. It's so complicated. It's right? so complicated. Mm. And so to come up with these metaphors I think is the only way me for me personally to understand what did happen during the experience and what I have to do to maintain Uh, this lifestyle or maintain this perspective and so like you said it's not that you just get this you don't get the tools and they're always in your hand it's like they're in a toolbox somewhere and you got to go open it up and look and go oh yeah yeah i am small oh yeah you know i do belong i do love myself but it gives you a space to work from if you if, if you if you continue that relationship with that space and you nourish it, then it's, it's there. And I have to take myself back there every day. Right. Of like, okay. And, and that's another interesting thing is a lot of times when I'm feeling like I'm a bit off or I'm starting to get off the path a bit, I'll go listen to the Icaros. I have a, a recording of the woman who sang for us. And just that alone of listening to her sing, like launches me back into those experiences. Not that I'm like seeing visuals, but I'm feeling whatever I felt in those ceremonies. Like, it's like a constant reminder. Um, and I think like sound, taste, touch, all that's linked really closely to memory. And whatever whatever those songs are doing for me are reminding me of what I learned. And, and, and it's not like they roll out a book or a text or show you a, a you know, a PowerPoint presentation. It's in a language that's not real. And you're interpreting it, like you said, in these metaphors. And so just being able to be reminded of that somehow. what and, and that's, like, I think we've kind of screwed up ceremony and ritual. Whereas a lot of people, or at least I believed, only the hippie type, spiritual, people with crystals, are, <laughs> are, are, are throwing this stuff out. But, like, just... Uh, for the retreat, they had you bring like a, a bag of items that like are meaningful to you, that hold energy and just having like a key that my wife gave me and said, this is the key to my heart. And like just having that, like I carry it around with me and I'll feel it in my pocket and I'll instantly go back into the ceremony and go, oh yeah, I remember what I learned about how I should be w- with my wife and what really matters. Oh yeah, I remember this little marble That I hold in my other pocket a lot of times that my son gave me. It reminds me to let go and play and enjoy time with him. And knowing that time is, you know, time is, we're on borrowed time. And that is for sure. And that just right now is what matters. Like being present and being, just being right there with whoever you're with. Or whatever experience you're with. It's just a constant reminder. So I don't think you need to do ayahuasca constantly. I think you just need to, or for me, I need to hold on to those experiences through these items or through these uh, objects that kind of can transport you back to that memory. And those metaphors. Yeah.
0: Now, how would you, so you do it once. What were the benefits of doing multiple days of it and how did that change the
1: experience? Good question. So it was basically like an arc of, of, of a storyline of like, okay, you know, the first night was, the first night for me was, okay, wow, this is nothing that I expected. And here's this, this space that I can explore. And I think the, for the first couple hours, I was just smiling because I was, uh, recognizing that it wasn't anything to be absolutely terrified for. The feeling I had was amazing. Um, I felt clean. I felt vibrant I felt like everything I touched was it just felt amazing and so I kind of just was exploring that for most of the time I got up and walked around the jungle and looked at frogs and plants put my you know my face in the water and so a lot of the first night was just the exploration and knowing okay here's this giant like coliseum that I can be in and perform and explore and open up all these doors to parts of my life, and the second night for me was actually a bit more of a somber, serious uh, ceremony where I went back all the way back into my childhood and I started opening up these doors of sadness of you know recognizing the first time that I was um, that I felt you know like I didn't belong that I was you know, maybe made fun of, I remember feeling like, uh, you know, these kids didn't want to play with me and I was really there. It transform, it transported me back in time where I was literally in like, I don't know, kindergarten. And I felt this feeling of like, wow, these kids don't like me and they, they don't want to play with me. Hmm. And then so that went into like... You think like that this, was
0: like something that you didn't realize you were
1: carrying with you? Oh, it yeah. It was like, let's explore yeah, this. Yeah, it was like, look, Aaron, like this happened and you felt these things and it was so long ago. But what does that mean to you now? How does it feel to be rejected? How does it feel to be, you know, non-authentic? Um, and and how does it feel to be sad and, and, and to to know, wow, like every human being probably... And, and, and for me, I felt sadness and I felt compassion for myself, but I also felt sadness and compassion for those kids who were rejecting me. And so it was a very transpersonal experience, mm. which was beautiful because every experience after that, throughout that same evening, was exploring rejection, was exploring sadness, was exploring. And it, I came out and it, was, it felt really heavy. But it, it felt like I did a lot of work. It felt like I just came out of a massive CrossFit workout. Right. I was exhausted. A man. huge cleansing. Yeah. And like, as it, you know, the first experience I felt euphoric and happy and relieved and, uh, you know, just like blown away by whatever I had just experienced. And then the second night was, all right, it's time to get serious. Um, and then the third night, I think I just explored opportunity. I, ex- I, I went in with the and I think that's what happens is you go in with an intention and that's what that's what you get. That's what you get out of it is whatever you bring into it. And so I brought in intention for opportunity and creation, you know, creativity and expression. How can I express myself as a human being and like give my, my true heart and purpose, like put it out on the line, have people see it, feel really good about it and then coming up with ideas of like wow i can really impact i can impact society i can impact myself i can i figure out ways to monetize things i figure i I learned how to save money (laughs) like there were so many things and and that's one big thing that i think is pretty universal is just the the understanding of how minimal the material world is and i i got that big time on my third experience and so anyway, each night had a different theme to it. And on the very last night, um, I had felt raw. I'd felt like my, my heart had been ripped out of my chest and tenderized. And everything was really intense. Every conversation I had, just even walking out into the, uh, you know, there was this big giant corridor with a lagoon and, a, you know, a courtyard with all this art. And, I mean, I felt overwhelmed just to be alive and so going into the fourth ceremony i was like dude i've got everything i came for i can't imagine getting anything additional or at least able to integrate then now you does know. your
0: body start to feel worn out like I, oh you're not
1: no you're draining dude, it's weird because you're not eating very much you're getting like a couple vegetables or some like you know black bean you know, sauce in the morning. And you're just not hungry. And you're just not that hungry. Okay. And you're going through the ceremony for the whole night. You, you get done with it around 7am and then you go back and sleep for maybe two hours and then you're up for breakfast and, and they have a group sharing. And then from there, you're so stimulated and so connected to the other people that are there at the retreat and you know, the, the retreat center that you, for me, and I think most people were like this, is that we just didn't sleep. And so your body's, you know, wearing down, but you really don't, you don't have a desire to rest. Wow. And and for me, I journaled for probably five, six hours each day. I even journaled in no my, shit. I, I took my journal into the, into the, uh, into the building. And when I did my ceremony, like I was journaling as I was in my trip on ayahuasca wow and i i didn't know what i was writing and i I read it to my wife and she was like wow that actually makes a lot of sense and it and i still go back and read those things that's fascinating but anyway when you read
0: it though does it does it sound like you yeah okay yeah you almost don't remember it
1: no i just remember going to the bathroom with my headlamp and going i've got to remember this wow i've got to write this down all right all right so you get through you get through the fourth one
0: Right, mm-hmm. and, and and
1: how would you describe the fourth one? They- so the fourth one was interesting because I had made the decision early on in the day that I was going to go into the ceremonial space and I was going to sit down and decide if I was going to drink or not, if mm-hmm. I was going to take the, the medicine. Right. Because I had been conflicted. I thought, you know, I've got everything I need. I feel saturated. And how am I going to remember everything that I've experienced and how am I going to integrate it? And it just felt so overwhelming that I didn't think that I could do another ceremony. And, um, the shamans were walking around and I, I brought the one guy over and I said, Hey man, I said, I'm feeling like I want to be involved, but I don't want to take a full, full cup. And he said, well, just do a quarter cup and just say goodbye and like, thank the medicine. And so I did that. And I only took a quarter of the, of the medicine that night. And I had the most, the most intense experience of the whole retreat. What? What's from a quarter? From the quarter. And what do you think that was all about? I think it was because I was so opened up that I just allowed myself to experience the medicine in a whole different way. I had formed a really tight relationship with the, with the medicine. I knew what it could do. I knew what it was capable of. And I knew how to let go. Because I think the first couple nights, you know, you're letting go, but then you're kind of retracting and coming back and recoiling. Maybe holding on a little bit. Yeah, holding on a little bit. And and by the fourth night, like you said, I was exhausted. I was open. I was connected. And so it all just flooded in instantly after that quarter cup. And I came in the next day and shared my experience. And the one shaman said, small dose does not equal small experience. Wow. He said the the dosage and the amount that you take has nothing to do with the potency of the medicine. It's how you take it. It's how you accept it. It's how you open yourself up to it. And I totally believe that. And it was a beautiful experience. I mean, it was, it was full spectrum was to... it like a combination
0: of the others in a, in that sense
1: yeah it felt like a culmination and it felt like an end cap of like hey yeah you know like look at all the stuff that you learned and experienced and like this is what you can do to go integrate it like this is what will happen if you do integrate it you know you're gonna live a more fulfilling life you're gonna have an extraordinary career you're gonna build amazing relationships and i think for the last night i just along with the visuals, felt all the validation. I felt proud of myself for going through with it. And I mean, I felt proud of all the people and I felt connected to everyone that was there that was brave enough to like sit and and take this stuff because it's really confronting and really scary, but it can also be really, really beautiful. And I think every single person had an amazing experience from what I saw. Do you
0: feel you have like a, a responsibility now to you and everyone around like you've been shown this and you're like i i have to do this work now i have to integrate this into my life and
1: oh completely work in that direction totally nice and and that's why i feel obligated to share this in a public you know forum well i'm glad you did Just i've been to-
0: bugging you about this for a a while now
1: yeah and i think i actually have more of a of a handle on articulating it now that i've integrated it more i think coming out of the experience you may not have been able to grasp i was
0: wondering that i was wondering if we did this right away i wonder if you would be able to articulate this in the same way but i was worried that you would forget it no that's why i wanted to capture it but i think the longer we waited and as we continued to talk about it here and there I'm like this might be a better way of doing it.
1: I think because so. because it's
0: more solidified. And, and like your... it's at least what it sounds like.
1: Well, like... and when you first come out of it, even for the first couple of weeks, you're you're not fully back into the material world yet. Like for me, I felt very separate from society, very separate from like my household, very separate from a lot of things because of the awareness and the sensitivity that you gain from from taking the medicine and so I think like sharing sometimes would be difficult um and like saying things that would be like unbelievable and people kind of looking at you like whoa like what do you mean by that (laughs) and it, it was my experience and it was very real for me but I think now that I've had some time to integrate it to journal about it and ground it then like you said the metaphors and the language comes afterwards I mean and there's still things that You know, I'll wake up one morning and I'll go, oh man, this is what that meant. And so I'm still learning from the experience. It's not, it doesn't end when you leave the retreat center. It's still coming in. It's, yeah, it's still doing its work. And when were you attacked
0: by the crocodile?
1: Oh my God. (laughs) So I was not under the influence of uh, any kind of plant medicine when this happened. But at the end of the retreat, yeah, at the end of the retreat, I just walked down to this beach and uh, I wanted to just sit and watch the sunset and just kind of connect. I was having a real hard time being around people. Everyone from the retreat center wanted to gather and eat dinner together and hang out. But I felt so sensitive that I just wanted to kind of be on my own. And so I walked, I was walking around this inlet of water and I was looking to find my way into uh, onto like the, the water's edge. But all these resorts own the water's edge and so they have these big walls and barriers and gates up and so it was really hard for me and I walked for a while and couldn't find any place and then eventually I found <laughs> like a hole in the fence where like some bums had like you know broken in and found a place to live and so I started walking back through there and there was tents and trash and I finally found my way to this tree and I sat under this palm tree and I just started to kind of Connect and meditate and watch the sunset and I noticed this large you know object coming towards me in the water and before I could even react this probably 10 or 12 foot crocodile just came out of the water directly at me and uh I mean I literally like jumped up and took off running tripped and fell over a bunch of plants scraped up my leg got some sort of poison plant all over me and uh got an uber went back to the hotel <laughs> and just said all right dude you you don't belong in society yet right. it's time to take a nap and eat some crackers or something but um yeah it was it was really intense but it was uh
0: yeah it was real yeah that's no way to end uh, uh i mean i it is a way but like losing your leg at the end of an ayahuasca trip to a crocodile is not the way to go
1: i don't think people are going to want to do it after that no (laughs)
0: that is a wild wild ending well i'll tell you what man i mean since i've been here in bozeman like um we connected took us a few months after i got here last september and like you know you we've all had a lot going on with covid like there there is just no denying that it's had a, a massive effect on everybody and And you had a lot to deal with in this last year and, um, seeing you after the retreat and, and like seeing you before. And it's like, there was a, there is a change. Mm. It's not one of those corny things that people say you're, you're standing different. Like you said, standing up Mm -hmm. more straight. It's like, it's like the best parts of the Aaron I always knew and I'm seeing it a lot more Mm. and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Especially when I get to hear this story and it's like, I have a lot of hope for it. I want it to go well. You know, in the future, I want to try it. I want this to actually be really beneficial for people rather than just this escape into madness for a few hours that really has no beneficial effect. It's like, what's the point of articulating this story? But to see some great growth in, in a friend of mine, a brother, someone I love, it's just,
1: it's great, man. That's, I you mean, know. that's really validating and, and refreshing to hear that <laughs> the work that I've put in is, uh, is noticeable and, um, and I've just appreciated, you know, having you here in, in Bozeman and being able to shoot bows and, and connect and, and have more of a, and lose arrows, lose arrows. <laughs> yeah. We need a better backstop or just become better archers. Get, get better. Yeah. It's getting expensive. But, but real quick to your point, um, I had a buddy that went and did ayahuasca And he didn't do any of the intention stuff. He didn't journal. He didn't diet. Uh, He honestly said he went into it wanting to see the fireworks. Mm. And it gave him nothing. And so he said, wow, that the feeling that I had was that I was this child expecting this like grandiose experience. And And ayahuasca was like, no, you're not getting anything. And so I think it's just up to you, really and what you want to put into it what do you want to get out of it and w- the work that you put in prior to during it and after it it sounds like doing it the right way is a big part of this to
0: you with the right people with the right intentions and take that shit seriously it might beforehand. be 90 percent of it Hmm. it might be that's really interesting that it goes that way yeah but i'm glad that it was this experience for you 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 know got to learn it this way with the people that you did it with I, this is an important message and this is why i wanted to bring this to the pod so other people that are maybe curious on the fence like probably where i am and you know it there's just not enough out there like you said it's it's a scary sounding thing
1: well and there's a lot of people out there doing it and so i feel obligated and i have no connection or no uh financial gain from this but the uh, the folks at Arcana, A R K A N A, did a tremendous job. Um, very thoughtful, very experienced. And if you want someone that's going to take you on a safe, special journey, um, you're in really good hands with them. And this was down in Mexico. And this is they do they they do retreats in Mexico and down in uh, in South America. Oh, okay. And so they have multiple retreat centers. I think the same guy owns it. And so I've heard nothing but good things about all their locations.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice, man. Well, there you go, guys. And uh, thank you for joining in and listening. It's a longer podcast today, but this was this is a message we couldn't crush into 40 minutes, and I didn't want to rush it. And uh, Aaron, thank you for coming over. Thanks for having me on, dude. I love you, brother. I love you, too. Awesome. Proud of you. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>